Welcome. You're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and tips from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or relationships to just living better and with more energy, or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts, and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Let's go. Hey, you're on air with Ella, and today it is my pleasure to introduce Miss Lena Morgan. Hey, Lena, how are you? I am so good. Thank you so much for inviting me into your space. I'm so happy to be here. Listen, you know how sometimes you can just tell? I can already tell. This is going to be a good one. (laughs) Same. I'm already like, this is great. The energy is is already there. We are vibing. Listener, I welcome (laughs) you. I invite you to pull up a chair at this table because Lena and I have a lot to talk about. Lena, where are you today? I am in Anchorage, Alaska. I'm based here in Alaska. So I'm always the time difference. I'm like, good thing I'm an early riser, man. (laughs) Welcome. Okay. (laughs) Lena, could you do me a favor and tell us who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So I'm a conflict resolution expert who created the fight languages. These are the five different types of people in a fight. But before I was into conflict resolution, I was actually a midwife for a really long time and owned birth centers. And I love everybody's always like, explain that. How did you get from, but think about it. When you're giving birth, there is no other place where you are navigating these really high tension spaces and needing to communicate effectively. So all of my, you know, like over a decade walking women through being able to advocate for themselves, express what they need, articulate their experience really naturally led to, okay, wait, What's the other places in life that we're doing that? And how can we do it better there? Well, your content caught my eye. And I just love that we were able to meet in the ethers that are the internet. (laughs) Because I really did a deep dive into your content, Lena. And I learned a great deal. And I'm so excited to share some of the things that I learned with everyone that's joining us today. But if you don't mind, I want to set up this framework first, as everybody's familiar with the five love languages at this point, right? Like most people are familiar with the five love languages. And those are how we express love and want to receive love in a way. That's not what the show's about. So give me a little bit of grace there. Lena, how would you set up the five fight languages with that as a comparison? Absolutely. I love this question so much because the love languages did become something that was kind of like a cornerstone in our relationships that we had a place to start from. And the love languages are how we want to feel loved, right? Uh, The fight languages are how we want to feel understood. So this is we are showing up in conflict because there is something that's important for us to be understood about. And we're giving that other person information. The same as with the love languages. Hey, this is how I want to feel. This is what feeling loved is like for me. The fight languages. Here's how you can understand me better. And who doesn't want to be understood? It's a lot like love, honestly. (laughs) And this is why I think this is so important because some people are already turned off just inherently by the idea of fight languages, which by the way, is telling in and of itself, but we'll get there. Okay. Cart before the horse. But I don't consider myself a particularly fighty person, which is hilarious because 
I think I might actually be. But you know how, Lena, you know there's a type that actually enjoys conflict, like it lights up something in them that makes them feel some sort of satisfaction? That's not me. And I'm going to harbor a guess that that's not the lion's share of the folks who are joining us today. In other words, we're not, we're not looking for a fight, right? We're not lighting up at the idea of conflict. Although... That type exists and all are welcome. (laughs) What would you Mm -hmm. say to those people as we invite them to this table? Absolutely. You're exactly right that in our culture, conflict is something we have all been told repeatedly needs to be avoided. That if you're fighting, you're doing it wrong. And the goal is to stop the fight, to give in to the other person, to make peace reign again. But what we know about being human is that's simply not possible. And that's not a reasonable part of our lives. So even if you are someone that finds yourself avoiding conflict whenever possible, A, there's a fight language for you. And B, uh, there's still going to be conflict happening in your life. And I want you to feel more comfortable navigating it. Yes to that big fat cosign from me, because as someone who I'm sitting here telling you, I don't gravitate toward conflict, but man, I deal with conflict every single day. And I'm not the type of person that shies away from it. So I'm sitting here telling you in, out of one side of my mouth, I'm not particularly fighty. And out of the other side of my mouth, I can name three conflicts I literally am engaged in right now. <laughs> no, you're so right. And that's everybody's life. That's like, I have this analogy that's like conflict starts first thing in the morning, right? It starts when like you overslept your alarm. And now you wake up, your internal conflict is turned on because you're like, oh my God, how could you do that? Now you go out into the kitchen and your spouse is having their own lovely morning, but they're not in that same space you are. So now it feels like they're like, everything is going through this filter, right? Of like, don't you see I'm late? How come you can't support me being quick? You know, the person cuts you off in traffic. It's a personal insult. Now, like, Every you are fighting all the time and you don't even realize it, you know, like conflict abounds when we are in this human experience. I mean, I have two words for you. Customer service. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. If you are existing in the world, you are managing through conflict on something approaching a regular basis. And today, some of the the framework and then the skills and the awareness that Lena is going to help build for us, it is my hope that that will help us not only create awareness, which is like what we're all about, Lena, but also give us some skills to sort of navigate better and maybe with a little less internal conflict as we as we do. Shall we jump in? Let's do it. I'm so excited. (laughs) Okay. You got to tee us up. What are, do you mind identifying the five fight languages for us? Absolutely. So these are the five types of people that you will see in conflict. First one, igniter. These are the people that are super comfortable. These are the ones that we might describe as fighty, right? They're very comfortable with anger. They have no problem wading into conflict. These are the people that if you're in, you know, if you're the underdog, they're going to have your back so hard. So the igniters can often say things or do things that seem excessively harsh. They are going to shut an argument down with their explosive reaction. So that's the igniter. Next, we have the amplifier. The amplifier has emotions as their superpower. They are so in tune with the big emotional responses that are happening inside of them. 
So these are people that we really love to have in an argument because they're expressing the emotions we're all feeling. We just maybe can't articulate in the same way. On the downside, that amplifier can get really caught up in that wave of emotion. So it's like what started as a wave is now a tsunami and it's just taking everything out. The negotiator, these tend to be our codependent or people pleaser. You know, I don't attach a lot of like types necessarily, but that's often how the negotiator shows up. They just want to make everything okay. So it's important to remember, like, these are people that consider themselves really good at mediating arguments, and they can be incredibly good at bringing everyone's experience in, but they're also showing up as a mediator when nobody asked them to. And their goal in mediation is to suppress the argument. Just, we need, just make everything okay. Next, we have the analyzers. These are black and white, bring the facts or don't come at all. Where's your receipts? They want you to prove your argument, to justify your feelings. And these people are so helpful to have in a particularly emotional argument because they're going to keep you on track, right? They're like, listen, we could take that bunny trail, but let's not. Let's stay with what's real and what's necessary right now. But on the other side, having been married to two analyzers myself, wow, they really don't like being blamed in a situation and they will find a way that it is somebody else's fault. And then finally, we have the um, extinguisher. The extinguisher is that shut down in a fight. They're the ones that have a really good internal awareness of when the conflict is heading to a space that's not safe. So we love extinguishers. They're like our canary in the coal mine that let us know, hey, people aren't going to feel heard in this. This doesn't feel safe for some reason. And the tools that they have are to escape internally or literally externally walk out the door. They will not participate in the fight. Incredibly frustrating because they're gone to you. They are an incredibly powerful fight language, even though it seems like they're a really passive one, but they're the one that controls whether or not this is going to happen. Okay, let's add some color here. So you said igniter, Mm -hmm. amplifier, negotiator, analyzer, extinguisher. Perfect. Yep. Are, are there any, I'm going to go ahead and assume we can have shades, like be predominantly one and have shades of others. Is that a fair assumption? Totally. Yeah. You might find, so there's a quiz that you can take on my website. It's fightlanguages.com to figure out what fight language you are. Like hit pause, go take the quiz and come back. You oh, know? I did like, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not ready to let that cat out of the bag yet. <laughs> So here's the thing. I want everyone to take the quiz multiple times. And it's a 10-question quiz. It's not a huge commitment. The thing is, I want you to take it thinking of the different people in your life, these intimate relationships where you tend to have conflict. So your partner, a parent, your child, a sibling, at work, whatever it is. Because what you're going to find is there's a different main fight language that you show up with every time which makes a lot of sense because not every person kind of triggers the same reactive response in us. Our parent and our partner could be just polar opposites in how we show up. So it'll also determine like how safe do we feel with that person? Are we safe enough to be the amplifier and let those emotions out? Or do we feel really unsafe and we need to be the negotiator and try to keep the peace so nothing explodes? everybody's going to have multiple fight languages and each relationship might be a slightly different fight language that you show up with. 
And see, that's why I think this type of framework can be so helpful because when you have, when you give language to something, when you create clarity around something, you can show up differently in a thing if you want to. So I find it so helpful when we can learn frameworks that help us in the moment, particularly in the heat of the moment. So if you find that you're constantly falling into this one role with your romantic partner, and then if you find, to use one of your examples, that you react completely differently, but yet in a pattern in uh with say a family member that to me gives us everything starts with awareness awareness allows us to create clarity then we can change behavior if we find that we want to or at least we can give it a name at least we know what we're doing which to me i find just inherently helpful oh you're so right and i love how you articulated that because it's the awareness that lets us choose how we're going to react in that situation right? Because sometimes we're only going to have the bandwidth to do the same old thing we've always done. And we see ourselves doing it and we're like, hot damn, there we go. All right, doing that again. And other times that awareness is going to say, oh, actually, I think I could try something. I'm just going to practice. I'm going to practice trying something different. But if we don't have the awareness, then all we're doing is reacting. And that reaction is rarely going to be the kind of connection we wanted to make. Well, do you mind if I give you a few examples of the way people operate in conflict and you give us a sense as to which, and it might not be this black and white, and I understand that, Lena, but if you could give us an example, if you could type that for us and be like, that's something an igniter mm-hmm. would do often or a, negotia- a negotiator or an analyzer, et cetera. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So if if somebody is like... In a conflict, they go hard, they come in hot, and they get a little mean a little quickly. Are we? Ca- is that an igniter? Yeah, absolutely. That's going to be an igniter. So the igniter's motivation is that they're coming from a knowledge that conflict can be very unsafe. So there are often people who grew up in households where they saw conflict escalate to a point that it was physically or emotionally unsafe for them or anyone else in the house. So these are people that like, we've got to have just a heap of empathy for the igniters because they came by their reaction. Honestly, they went through the war and now they're like, no, don't worry. I know how unsafe this can get. I'm going to be the bad guy that pulls the pin out of the grenade to stop this before someone does the same to me. I know they can. I've had it happen before. So yeah, our igniters are definitely going to come in hard and hot and say the meanest thing they can to get you to back off because they don't trust that and that that conflict could expand in a way that wouldn't harm them. Okay. I am going to guess that the person that detaches or almost dissociates, <laughs> disconnects immediately, is that our extinguisher? Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Okay. So the extinguishers are most, I mean, there's, a. I call them like dialects to each of the fight languages. Like you can show up as the extinguisher in some different ways. Fair enough. And really common dialect that we see for this fight language is that it's like their brain shuts down. It's a protective shield that comes up that says like, I don't even know what to say right now. I can't even think of how to respond to this person. The only thing I have access to is just to retreat inside and not be a part of whatever's happening here. So it's often in times that they're like, I think if I engage with this, it's going to be like kerosene on a fire. So I'm just going to shut down and withdraw 
and not make it any worse. Well, I'm just picturing marriages between an amplifier <laughs> and an extinguisher. Yeah. And, and that sounds rough. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Honestly, a lot of marriages with extinguishers, <laughs> except the negotiator, the negotiator and extinguisher do great. They're both like, yeah, let's just ignore all of this. Thanks. I don't uh, want to deal with it either. Tell me more <laughs> about the negotiator. What, how does a mm -hmm. negotiator show up in conflict? So um, some key phrases for the negotiator might be like, I just really don't think it's that bad. I don't think that's anything to get upset about. Or, you know, I think you misunderstood what they said. It's a very like, as a negotiator myself, I know that in my mind, I am incredibly helpful and like, bless everyone around me because now my calm, you know, just like, maternal energy of love is spreading all over them. But what I have consistently heard from other people is like, no, you're just absolutely dismissing my experience and emotions and suppressing that experience. Like I need everyone to not be upset and then I will feel better. So it's not really about that group, even though we tend to think of the negotiators as like, wanting to take care of everyone else. No, it's that I feel very uncomfortable with conflict. So I need all of you to stop fighting as well. Oh, this is so interesting to me. Okay. What about the folks who get really sort of, they have big emotions, but they get sort of tongue tied and cannot express themselves in a situation. And God forbid they're up against an igniter, then they really Ooh. can't get it out. What is that a particular yeah. type? Um, so they tend to be amplifiers and they're amplifiers that just haven't built the tool set, the skill set to express the emotions that are flooding inside of them. I had a really great conversation with someone that was like explaining how they fight. And I said, oh, OK, it sounds like you're an extinguisher. And when they took the quiz, they were actually mostly amplifier. And I was like, this is so awesome because now we know. You have all of these emotions inside of you. You don't know how to express them, so you shut down instead. Fantastic. You're not actually an extinguisher. Those skills aren't really going to be that helpful for you. Focus on the amplifier, and you're going to learn how to start processing those emotions, how to start expressing them in ways that feel productive. But yeah, it's so challenging. Our amplifiers are also the ones that often got told when they were kids, like, you're a lot. You're kind of a drama queen. Wow, there you are overreacting again. You just seem like you're melting down all the time. You know, so they have likely a lifetime of being told the emotions that they're experiencing are more than anyone around them wants to engage with. Okay. And then there's one that I've kind of left off the table a little bit, and it's because I'm avoiding it. And that's the analyzer. <laughs> no reason. Absolutely yeah, no reason. No, I'm just going to harbor a guess, just hypothetically, like allegedly, mm -hmm. reportedly, that arguing with an analyzer or dealing with conflict with an analyzer is sort of like talking to a litigator. Is that fair? Absolutely. Yeah. So I used to have different names on them. Um, and people didn't always love the names, but the analyzer used to be called the attorney. So mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Um, the analyzers, it's almost like their brain works differently. So I'm like a negotiator amplifier. I'm all about the emotions. And when I talk to analyzers, they're like, emotions matter, but not really because you can't prove it. Like it's subjective. Why wouldn't you focus on the things that 
are black and white, are fat. Like, let's stick there. That makes more sense. It's they're they're so powerful with that sense of justice that they're motivated by, right? They have the strongest sense of like justice and balance and what's fair and what's not. But the analyzer's Achilles heel is that they have this internal wound of not being believed, not feeling like things are fair, not feeling like they can defend themselves and be heard. So they're walking through the world where the first line of defense is a strong offense and make sure that it is not your fault. And I would just like to say, just again, hypothetically, that reportedly, this is a useful skill to have in business and potentially a nightmare to be married to. (laughs) Absolutely. Listen, in all arenas, there are huge benefits to the analyzer, right? But if you're in a space where someone's like, no, this is just how I feel. Yeah, that's going to be a muscle you'll have wanted to strengthen. (laughs) (laughs) Allegedly. Okay, Lena, I want to talk about sort of I don't want to say toxic traits. Actually, you have very diplomatic language around this. You say that in each of these five styles, if you will, we have productive tendencies and then we have protective tendencies. Now, I love that because obviously you're implying that this is a learned behavior and we are protecting something inside of us, something delicate. And I think that is more useful a way to think about our worst case scenarios and our less less productive behavior um, than calling it a toxic trait. But what are, if we don't mind going step by step through these, if I'm an igniter, and I'm, I love a challenge and I light up my brain synapses fire a little bit brighter. If I can engage in conflict at least three times a day, <laughs> what is the downside of that? What are some of the less productive tendencies there? Right. So the igniter is on that high alert for any sort of conflict. So that's exactly why they're fighting three times a day because they are on high alert all the time. The the igniter's big thing is safety. Am I safe in this situation? And so they are often going to find a way that they could be unsafe and then they're going to attach on to that. So that means if you're fighting with an igniter, then yeah, whatever you say or do, they're going to, you're going to be like, why are you so defensive? And it's like, no, that's, that's how I walk through the world to make sure I can keep myself safe. I'm going to take every single invitation to every single fight that is offered to me so that I can quickly shut it down and know that that person now does not have the ability to hurt me. And then in that way, they are in control. That is fascinating to me. Everybody is picturing someone right now, by the way. I definitely am. Okay. (laughs) So I have a question for you. If I'm an amplifier, I'm guessing I'm a little bit more of an empath, maybe, possibly, if I have amplifier or negotiator tendencies. Talk to me. And again, I'm struggling a little bit with what amplifier means. So feel free to repeat it. But if I'm an amplifier, what are the potential downsides or protective tendencies for me? Yeah. Um, and, you know, hypothetically speaking, if Analyzer was in your results, the amplifier would be really difficult for you to like conceptualize in a practical way because their brain does interpret things very differently. So remember, the amplifier was told when they were very young that their experience didn't matter. 
So they're walking through the world looking for how someone might be ignoring them or not acknowledging their experience or minimizing their emotions. And when that happens, their natural response is to go from zero to 100 emotionally and make sure that their experience cannot be ignored. So that means if you're in a fight with an amplifier, what you're going to see them do is you're going to tell them about your experience and then they're going to tell you why theirs is worse and bigger and they're going to like collapse into those big emotions And what this creates, I call this like the baby deer effect, where now you have to scoop up this wounded baby deer and pet them and sue them because they are so mortally wounded by their hurt feelings. So that is, while the amplifier gives us access to all of those emotions, it is also that protective trait that comes up is to make those emotions, again, the tsunami. It's so big. It clears everything. You can't get to anyone else's experience. The amplifier has taken over. Okay. They are taking up all of the oxygen in the room at that moment with their emotions. I got it. Okay. Now, a negotiator wants everything to be okay, wants to keep things in harmony, and in many occasions has the skills to maybe even make it so. What is the downside of that? Yeah. So this is where the dialects become really helpful with the negotiator. Because it is a, there's a little bit of nuance in there, right? Like all of these fight languages, there's parts that we all want to embody of each of them. So there's the great side of the negotiator, but the downside is they have a hard time hearing anyone else's experience. They're really focused on their own discomfort and they assume other people's experiences for them. So they're going to decide how you're feeling and respond accordingly to fix it. And it's not what you needed. It's not how you felt at all. And then they're upset that you're not happy with the solution they just provided. Or we have a dialect of the negotiator that says there is no problem. Just get over it. What's the big deal? Like you're you're deciding to make this. It's like, no, the conflict exists. The tension is here, but they will just steamroll. No. There's nothing wrong. And then we have a dialect of the negotiator that uses humor to deflect and kind of deflate things um, or sarcasm or things like that, you know? And so those people can be so challenging because you're like, yeah, I see what you're doing. You're trying to just make everything okay. But like you're making light of the situation doesn't actually change how I'm feeling right now. Oh, so good. Okay. And we've already, we've already talked about the downside of an analyzer. I mean, it'd be silly. Well, (laughs) you said something really important here. First of all, an analyzer, you said, does not always leave space for other people even having the emotional experience because it's like, yes, but I'd like to talk to your left brain if you don't mind. Um, Mm -hmm. And also when you're in an emotional state and you're talking to somebody who is parsing your argument and like breaking it down into paragraph A, paragraph B, and then disputing with evidence. Like that's annoying, but you said something and I'll, I'll of course leave space for you to comment on this further, but you said analyzers have a hard time taking accountability and I am fascinated by that because I have been super intentional in my life. This is what my brain did. I've been super, super intentional. Accountability is one of my top five values, but I'm realizing that the reason it is, is because I had to be intentional about accountability. Otherwise it might've passed me by. So please have a go with the analyzer. <laughs> Absolutely. So, 
Okay, here's a few things from analyzers that I have been married to or have talked to about (laughs) it (laughs) because I am intimately familiar with the analyzer. My condolences. Um, Bless. Y'all keep us on a very narrow path. Um, So one... Once I was told, like, listen, if I can find a single flaw in your argument, I have negated the entire argument. And I was just like, oh, no, what? Oh, no, 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 no. Right. So I remember that the analyzers are listening to debate. They're not listening to understand. They are listening to see, does this make logical sense? Is this verifiable? So that is one big area with the accountability where the analyzers can lean in is the active listening. And that is a very defensive posture to be in, especially if you're in an intimate dynamic. Like that's, that's just an extremely defensive posture to assume. Even I can see that. (laughs) (laughs) So um, when it comes to the accountability piece, again, we want to remember why the analyzers got to this point. And it's because they are very familiar with situations where they didn't feel like anyone listened to them. They weren't able to defend themselves. Their argument wasn't valid. So these can sometimes be like authoritarian households where someone was like, listen, it's my way or the highway. And you're like, but that's not fair. And that shouldn't be how things go. So now you're walking through the world to ensure that fairness happens, most of all for yourself. So it's not even that there, it's necessarily a lack of accountability, although that is often how it comes across. It is most of all an ensuring of fairness and like advocating for you and your experience because you know the reality of people not doing that for you and how painful that was. So why would you trust that somebody else is going to prioritize your experience? You should just do that for yourself. Is that protective like shield coming up? And so when a situation happens for an analyzer, the knee-jerk reaction is to figure out like who can be at fault for this to ensure it's not them. And so a lot of times that'll come across as like blaming, pointing fingers, you know, that's the real like protective response coming out. It's that automatic, I need to make sure I wasn't at fault here, which means I need to put that fault on somebody else. So I love that you recognize that tendency and then strengthen the muscle around it, which is, okay, no, I'm going to take the responsibility for my stuff. I'm not going to take responsibility for more than that, but for my stuff. Yeah. Okay. I will hold that. Yeah. I mean, well, we still have the extinguisher to cover, but I have to say, Lena, this is the whole point of this show is that if we just all walked around unconscious and on autopilot nightmare and you see it, you see evidence of that every single day, hence the need to have uh, awareness about how to resolve conflict. But everybody engaged in this community is someone who cares about awareness and clarity and understanding so that we can be the better versions of ourselves. So that's what gets me super torqued up about this stuff is just, these are just more tools in our toolkit, but I don't want to leave extinguishers off. So extinguishers, I mean, I got to be honest with you, the, the downside of being an extinguisher is real clear to me and probably everyone that's listening because they are out. <laughs> yeah. But what is the upside to being an extinguisher if we can reverse this one? Yeah. So the productive side of the extinguisher, extinguisher is such an interesting one to me because it seems like such a black and white one and it's not. They are the powerhouses of the fight language. They are so good at a skill that the rest of us are working hard to cultivate, which is to say, hey, this is getting a little heated. Let's take a break. 
That is what the extinguisher brings in spades to an unhealthy degree sometimes. But at the basis, again, they're the ones that know, hey, things are starting to get a little bit much. Let's set it down and take a break so we can come back with like, you know, our nervous system regulated and back in a clear thinking headspace and curious about each other's experience. So we really need the extinguisher in an argument because they're the ones that remind us to hit pause. The problem with the extinguishers is that they never want to hit play again. They're like, listen, I escaped the war zone. Why would I go back in there? So it is my number one suggestion for the extinguishers. Like you hit pause whenever you need to. I trust your internal system that says I need a break. That's fine. We could have been talking for five minutes. You're overwhelmed. You're shutting down. That's enough of a reason to hit the pause button. That's awesome. But you have to set a time to hit play again. Otherwise, you're being shut down. That is why they are the most powerful fight language is because they're shutting that conversation down. No resolution is possible now. No one's even engaged at all. And if they don't return to the table, then we're stuck, all of us. How do you counsel people then, Lena, who are not extinguishers, but they are in business, you know, in a in a professional relationship or in an intimate relationship with an extinguisher? How do you counsel them? Because you can't, I mean, it's very difficult to drag an extinguisher back to the table if they don't want to come. And they won't. They are so good at protecting themselves in those situations. So the first thing we have to remember, we have no control over anybody else, right? And that is such a difficult thing because we like to think in these situations, we do have a degree of control that we can get what we want to happen. So with an extinguisher, I want everybody to keep in mind, like they're going to need more time than maybe you or I. Like the analyzers are so quick. They have quick wit. They have quick minds. They move at a really fast pace. And if you're in a discussion in any setting with an extinguisher, it is going to feel achingly slow to you because an extinguisher needs time to ponder. They want to think about it. They want to mull it over. They might want to sleep on it. The analyzer is like pulling their hair out like this. We don't need to think. I can show you right here. Make the decision. Do the thing but that is not the pace that the extinguisher goes at. So I do always counsel the extinguishers or people who are in relationships with them. The pace is going to be slower and that's okay. Right? Like we can move at that pace. But again, just having this language to me is so incredibly useful because you can say, okay, I see that I'm falling back on my tendency and I see that you need to take a beat. And so I'm going to honor you needing to take a beat. And I, I know that when you're fighty, you're not using this like adult mature language, but you, you can still do mm -hmm. it. Like you can still yeah. say, okay, let's take a beat. So, so the analyzer or the amplifier, when they have this language, when they have the eyes to see, then they can borrow some of the tools from the other person's toolkit, in my opinion. Absolutely. So we want to empower the extinguisher to start articulating, even if they don't have a solution, if they could say, I'm feeling overwhelmed. And then that pings in the other fight language, you know, the amplifier is like, oh, they're telling me they're feeling overwhelmed. This isn't, you are overwhelming me, which is how the amplifier would receive that. It is a, information about that person's experience. Okay, cool. Let's take a break. How long of a break should we take? An hour, overnight, whatever. 
Well, and this is definitely not my idea of origin for sure, Lena, but you know, you've heard in many different arenas that at the end of the day, when you get to the point of conflict where you're both emotional, it's just like two eight-year-olds duking it out. It's just your inner child's bumping up against one another. This can even be with someone you don't know. This can be in traffic when you feel, you know, offended, or it can be um, in a customer service uh, dynamic as well. I find that fascinating that at the end of the day, we're all just little tiny kids walking around in these adult bodies. I will never stop being fascinated by that. But can you talk to us from your point of view, you talk about how our core wounds impact how we show up in conflict. Can you just, can you expand on that for us? Yeah. So this is where I think making your own fight map, and I do have that in my upcoming book, like information on how to make your own fight map um, is so critical. So we're going to look at the people that raised us, right? Our caregivers, whether they were parents or grandparents or family friends, the major adults in our lives. And we're going to look at whether they were reactive or they retreated in conflict. So when we were a kid, we were totally powerless. Unfortunately, we were reliant on these adults around us and how they handled conflict. And we were around adults that were either reactive or retreated to conflict. So then when we were these powerless children and deciding like, okay, do I want to do what this person did because it feels safe? or because it feels powerful, then we're getting our needs met. Okay, it's more important to me to feel safe. Okay, great. So you're either going to repeat or reject what you saw from people. If you had an igniter parent and your priority was to feel safe, then you would reject what they did and choose one of the retreating fight languages. So you would become an extinguisher or a negotiator. If you looked at, say, you know, your mom was the igniter and your dad was the extinguisher. And you looked at your dad and you said, well, he really doesn't look very powerful, right? He looks like very disempowered. So I don't want to do that. So I'm going to reject that. And I'm going to therefore not be the extinguisher, but be the negotiator and always try to be stopping the fight. So this is where like we've got our inner child wound that is, you know, were we understood, were we seen, were we, did we feel worthy, did we feel loved, all of these protective ways. And then we also have this fight map of what we saw and whether they felt safe or they felt powerful and how we wanted to carry that forward with us. That's where we get the skill set of like, how did we get our fight language? That's where it came from. So we picked up whatever the shield was that made the most sense to protect us, the negotiator shield, the igniter shield, whatever it is. And then we walked forward like, okay, cool. Now I've got a plan. Now I know when I'm in conflict and that inner wound is getting hit of I'm not, I don't feel important or heard, whatever it is. I know what shield I'm picking up to respond. Well, one clarifying question that I've heard you ask before is, which feels safer in a fight, reacting with anger or reacting with sadness? And is it fair to say, Lena, that you could also say which feels the most familiar? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And yeah. how is that question useful for us? What do we do with that question? And I'm going to ask it again. Which feels safer or familiar in a fight, reacting with anger or reacting with sadness? Yeah, so I love asking people this because nine times out of 10, they've never really considered 
what emotion it is that they show up with in a fight. So if you tell me which you tend to react with, I can guess with a level of certainty what your fight language is, because now I know what feels safer for you to show up with in that space. So if it feels safer for you to get angry, okay, great. Now I have a lot of information. If I'm in conflict with someone that tends to show up with anger, now I know that feeling safe is really important to them. And when they start getting angry, they don't feel safe. And even if they were not aware of that on a conscious level, as the other side that wants this to be productive, I can say, okay, that person's getting angry. They don't really feel safe anymore. Let's take a break. Well, because the truth of it is conflict at the end of the day in almost any dynamic I would submit can become a connection like that, that conflict. I mean, that certainly has been my experience, at least in the relationships that matter the most to me is conflict feels inherently negative, but it isn't. It's an opportunity actually to up level in intimacy and in connection. That's, that's the rub. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I talk about this all the time. Conflict, the whole goal of it is connection and it is a deepening of the connection. You get to travel to some really meaningful places with this person. You get to be understood on a whole new level and understand them. So conflict is actually neutral. It's an exchange of information. Unfortunately, we do it in ways that are harmful and they don't benefit our relationships because we were never taught how to have conflict in ways that weren't harmful, you know, how to actively have curiosity and try to find understanding to express our own needs and let them be met. That's what conflict gives us the opportunity to do. Well, and even in business, I think about anyone who's ever been through any kind of sales training, it's been a while for me, but I remember being taught that disagreement or, you know, a lack of alignment is, is a real opportunity to learn more, a real opportunity to gather more information. And you say conflict is information. So talk to me in the business world. How do you use this framework to help people? I don't know. I mean, honestly, build better relationships with their customers. Absolutely. Conflict resolution with the fight languages, like when I bring it into businesses, it is a game changer on every level for any internal conflict that company was experiencing because gosh, we might feel safe fighting in our partnerships. We definitely don't feel safe fighting at work and we don't have great tools for conflict resolution. It's more just figure out how to be okay with this and move on. And then when it comes to our customers, We have this adage of like, the customer is always right. But what if we could expand that to say, the customer is giving us information that we're not even hearing most of the time, and we could have a better connection to this customer. The customer loyalty that comes from that, the way they just become like diehard for your business, because you made the effort to understand their experience. That's what we're all looking for as humans. So this changes every part of a business. It's incredible. And the biggest thing is like someone, you know, contacts you saying, Hey, this is the problem that I have. Remember you're looking at it through your own lens. And if like take forward one thing from this, if you could consider they're doing a really bad job of telling me what they need, then, Oh my gosh, suddenly this isn't like an attack. This is a source of information because what I would be assuming their problem was, no, why don't I get more information about that so they can really feel understood? 
Yeah, just as an aside to my people leaders, my folks in business, my people who are running their own businesses, I got to tell you, (laughs) if you take the communication dynamics concepts that we talk about on this show, and you apply them in the business world, you are leveling up immediately. I mean, that's actually, Lena, my, I live in the business world 80% of the time, and my workshop partner and I, Tilly, we bring these, quote, personal development topics into the business world, and it is such a game changer because so few people are doing it. It's like anything goes at work. We don't need to be our best selves. <laughs> we just... You just show up and get the job done. The folks who actually really start paying attention to this type of framework, to communication dynamics, to how to up-level and take this stuff that they're learning from the podcast that they listen to outside of work and they take it into the corporate environment, like buckle up. I, I've, I find it personally completely transformative. Oh my gosh, in every way possible. Because consider with the fight languages specifically, if you are in any sort of leadership position and you understand what your fight language is, Now you can identify when you're having a reactive response. Great. Schedule a time to revisit it in an hour or step out of the room. I have um, in the upcoming book, I call them pauses and pivots, things that each of the fight languages can do to help recenter and make the conversation more productive again. So again, as a leader to understand, here's how I'm reactive in conflict. I can identify it. I see what it's happening and I know what I want to do about it. You are a much better leader for the people around you. Additionally, I think every company should have the fight languages be part of the hiring process because think about that. Like if you're going to have people working together on a team and it's like igniters and extinguishers, like this is not the best setup that we could have. Like here's a way we can start working with the ways that people communicate best rather than like smashing them together and saying, I don't know, figure it out. All right. We have talked about how conflict is inherently neutral and it's what you bring to the table, right? That makes it good or bad or productive or not productive. And we've also talked about the fact that conflict is information or should could be viewed as such, right? More productively. But I got to be honest with you, Lena, I don't show up to every dance I'm invited to. And I'm super curious about this for you. When do you decline the invitation to conflict? Awesome. I am so glad we're talking about this because as someone that talks about conflict all day, every day, we got to acknowledge the elephant in the room, which is unhealthy conflict, right? So that is a lot of the conflict that's happening is harmful and you should not be engaging in it. So one of the big parameters I use as to whether this is healthy or unhealthy conflict is unusual, I think, because nobody's really talking about it. They're like, well, are they being mean or not? And I'm like, no, let's focus on whether or not they're trying to understand me. Are they actively trying to misunderstanding, understand me? Are they trying to twist my words? Are they trying to deny my experience? If they are trying to misunderstand me, then that's not conflict that I want to be a part of. And I'm going to exercise some sort of line that says like, Hey, I appreciate this conversation. I don't feel like I'm being heard. I'm going to set it down right now. Is there a time that you'd like to revisit it? Or I don't feel like this conversation is productive anymore. I'm going to step away from it. Tell me when you'd like to pick it up again. So if you're in a space where, A, it's harmful because there is name calling or physical threats or any of that, absolutely, without a doubt, set that conversation down. That is harmful. You should not be a part of it. 
But additionally, if they are not trying to understand your experience or actively misunderstanding it, we can also say that that's not healthy either. And we can set that down. So healthy conflict, therefore, we know has the parts of someone being curious about your experience, trying to understand you and explaining their experience as well. They're not shutting down. They're not denying how you're feeling. They're expressing their side of it also. That's where we can find that connection. That's where we can have more understanding and move forward. I'm I'm genuinely thinking through this question as we're talking about it. And what strikes me is you has you have said conflict can become connection. We agreed on that vehemently. And conflict is information. And so I'm sitting here thinking in different scenarios. If I don't want the information, if the information is not pertinent to my life in any way and does not add value, and if I do not seek connection, then I'm not showing up to that dance. And and this is very broad examples of like if somebody drives aggressively behind me and then swoops around me and cuts me off and does all that sort of nonsense. I'm really working on not showing up to that dance. I'm really working on not being an igniter in my car. Yeah. <laughs> because that is a lose-lose. It's so stupid and it's so childish. And if you let it go, it's over 30 seconds later. Ain't nobody thinking about anybody else after that, right? Exactly. So- that's a dance. I don't want, I, I don't care if you invite me. I'm not showing up to your dance because I don't need to form a connection with you. And there's no information here for me. So I love running it through that filter, but you're making a really important point. And that is in our inner circle to people who we have actually intentionally seated in our theater and they do matter to us that if In that moment, they are not seeking to understand. If they are not seeking to ultimately create any kind of connection or information here, that we don't have to tell them to go to hell forever, but that we can, we can say, I, I'm not showing up to this dance right now scheduled at this time. (laughs) Exactly. So, I mean, what we're saying there in another term is that we're having boundaries, right? We're having boundaries for the invitations that we're going to accept. I phrase it exactly the same way you do of, are you accepting the invitation to this fight or are you going to decline it? And so you get to decide what your personal boundaries are when it comes to taking those invitations. And listen, you're going to get invitations all day long from those intimate relationships, your partner or your kids, your best friend, and you get to decide whether you're going to take that invitation or not. And one of the most pivotal uh mindset changes for this is to not make it about you. Because if this is information that they're giving us about them, a lot of times they might be phrasing it in ways that like really sound like it's about me because they're saying you always and you never and blah, blah, blah. They're giving me information about them. They feel a certain way and they want me to understand that. So if you can say like, okay, I'm getting reactive right now. Hey, start thinking, okay, what if this wasn't about me? What information are they giving me right now? B, am I getting reactive to a space that I need to actually put a boundary in place and say, I'm going to set this down. I can feel myself getting reactive and that is not how I want to show up with you. I mean, that is literally the phrasing I use with my kids. Wow, I can feel myself reacting to what you just say and that's not how I want our conversations to go. I'm going to take a beat. Can we touch base in like half an hour? And that's not that that is not to me 
rainbows and unicorns and Pollyanna behavior. That is maturity from where, from where I'm sitting. It's just saying, this is not how I want to show up in this conversation right now. And I think there's a way to abuse that just like with anything. But I think when it's sincere, I think that's such a reasonable thing to do and such a sign, again, of maturity in communication. And I know there are a couple, this is not, this is not mine, but I'm going to tell you my version of this. Um, there are couples who have learned that if they've been drinking, then they should not show up to the dance, right? But invariably, one of them will invite the other <laughs> into conflict, right? If there's been drinking, and they have learned not to try to engage in what looks like a conversation if one or both of them has been drinking. Well, our version of that in my household <laughs> is if one of us is extremely overtired. So if one of us is extremely overtired, it is possible that we might invite the other one into a little conflict dance. And the most mature thing, I'll just be self-effacing in this example, the most mature thing that my husband can do if I'm super, super, super overtired and I'm just like, I am setting traps all over the place, you know, as one does, he'll just not in a disrespectful way and not in a way that makes me feel less than, he'll just be like, Today's not the day. Like, let's get a great night's sleep and let's have this conversation tomorrow. And again, you can say anything the wrong way and you can say things in a condescending way. But to me, that's like an extremely mature thing to do and something that took us a little bit of time to work out. But it's a game changer. Absolutely. And one of the phrases that I have, like one of the fight hacks I use often is the idea of telling someone like, I really want to understand what you're saying. And I'm not in a space where I can do it right now. Can we set this down? Can we get a good night of sleep? Like your husband's is effectively telling you, I really want to have this conversation with you. And I know this is not a space we're going to be able to do that in. And so that is, that is love. Absolutely. That is being loved and supported and held in a safe space. And there are definitely fight languages that you would tell that to. And there would be this reactive response of, well, you blah, blah, blah. You're not listening. And da, 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 da. Okay. That's fine. The other person's going to just still firmly and lovingly say, I understand that's how you feel. I'm not willing to have this conversation with you tonight because I know it's not going to be as productive as we want it to be. Okay. Let's set it down on like a similar example. My daughter, she's 13 and reflected this back to me where, you know, we were having a discussion <laughs> and I was uh, hadn't been as the amplifier, hadn't been tuning in into my own emotions and was way over my bandwidth. The kids are bickering and then they start telling me why it's my fault and I react. Well, you guys, not even considering what my day was like. Da -da -da -da. And I notice the reaction and I say, okay, okay, we've got to set this down. Let's take a break. So it's quiet and I'm seething inside. <laughs> and I say, <laughs> because I just think that. And my daughter says, mom, you asked for a break. You often do this and you push the argument forward again, but you asked for a break. Let's not. And so my amplifier reaction was to go to my room and cry because that's what feels good to me, you know, but she wasn't wrong. And she did lovingly and firmly hold the boundary that said, you know, no, this isn't going to be productive. And I'm not going to join. I'm not going to take this invitation that you just extended again. Nope. That's honestly remarkable. Okay. Last question for you, Lena. 
What does it mean when you talk about fighting with ourselves? Because what an interesting idea that we are using these tendencies on ourselves, in ourselves, sometimes um, almost sabotaging ourselves because the tendencies we display outwardly, I would imagine we do not separate, we do not distinguish, and we turn them inward. Talk to me about that. I've never really thought about it in this light before. Awesome. Yeah. So we're fighting with ourselves first. Absolutely. And all of the time, just like conflict is happening externally all the time, it's happening internally constantly. So to go through the fight languages, what that internal conflict might look like for an igniter, really harsh self-talk. Like they are the ones that are like, God, you're so stupid. How could you? It's very harsh for the amplifier. It is not checking themselves as they collapse into their feelings being hurt. So they're like inventing stories of how they've been harmed and doing it to the, well, you know, like they probably thought this about you. Well, God, now I really feel bad about that. So they're the ones that are telling themselves the stories of how they don't matter or nobody cares about their feelings. The negotiator is going to suppress all of their own emotional needs in the situation, right? They're not going to acknowledge. They're going to be like, why can't you just figure out how to be okay with this? Like, whatever, just let it go. Just why are you holding on to this? And it's like that internal self is like, because I want to be heard. And the negotiator is not listening. The analyzer is going to make themselves justify their needs, their emotions, their experience. Like, well, prove it. Do you really think you feel that way? Nah, make sure you could defend yourself to a degree that no one could say you were wrong before you express that emotion. And the extinguishers, it's the cutting themselves off from how they're feeling, just choosing to numb out. Um, You know, like extinguishers will maybe like binge watch a show or they can be workaholics. They can, you know, like just go get into video games a lot of different ways that they're shutting themselves off to how they're feeling. So I like to think of conflict. It started with us first, right? The external conflict that we're seeing started within us first. And we are not very good at responding to that internal conflict. We mostly just are like, yeah, I guess that's true then. But when it happens externally, now here's a fight we can show up to and feel better in. So we're going to accept the invitation when it comes on the outside because we're not fighting with ourselves on the inside. We're always the one that's wrong, you know? Again, having this framework and the clarity and the awareness to be able to realize that we are also doing this to ourselves, to me, just having the language for it is inherently useful to recognize our own patterns and our own tendencies. And Lena, at the end of the day, we are about living with intention here and not on autopilot. And everything you've shared with us has just gone a huge way in adding tools to our toolkit. So I cannot thank you enough. Oh, I this is such a joy for me. I love talking about this. It feels like I get to reintroduce people to themselves. It's thrilling. Thank you. Lena, you said that there's a book coming. I need this book. This needs to be a book. What is happening? Tell us. <laughs> so I have the ebook because I am a path of least resistance person, like move forward quickly. So the ebook will be available in a couple weeks and you can pre-order it at a discounted price right now through my website at fightlanguages.com. 
I offer one-on-one sessions. If you're dealing with conflict that you're like, listen, I know I'm in over my head. Awesome. Let me help you navigate through that with yourself or with someone else. And then I do business trainings as well, because truly like conflict is in every area of our lives. And those are all the places that I want to show up in and help. Lena, we will make it super easy for everybody to find you. I cannot thank you enough and keep doing what you're doing. We need it. Thank you. Okay, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, find me on Instagram at onairwithella or get the show notes and all the links shared today at onairella.com. There's no with, it's just onairella.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for sharing the show. And thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.